Perspectives, which is a series of inspiring conversations with remarkable working women. And I am really excited today to be talking with Dr. Cheryl Robinson, who's the founder of Ready to Roar and a regular contributor to Forbes Women, among many other things. Welcome. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited. Thank you for being here. And especially so soon after a very exciting thing, right? You just got married. I just got married. I can't believe it's been almost two weeks now. The time flies so quickly. Well, <laughs> yeah. well congratulations. I think especially yeah. now things like that we took for granted, even just things like a wedding means so much more, you know? So it's wonderful. Congratulations. Thank you. Okay, but now we're not here to talk about that, even though I would love lots of details. Can we just start and set up by talking a little bit about your career and how you got to where you are today? Sure. So I will try and make a very long story short. Uh, I started working in sports in high school. I was the wrestling manager. I literally did everything from PR to bulletins to helping out at practice, pictures, et cetera. That carried over into college where I worked in the athletics department. After I graduated, I moved out to Hollywood for a couple of years. I thought I was going to be the next Steven Spielberg, even though I didn't have any other, you know, I had no film degree. That's a different story. But I had that tenacity. After two years out there, I came back east and I started working in intercollegiate athletics again. With that, I thought, okay, there has to be something more to sports. And I wound up going to Columbia in their sports management program. Through there, I networked and I worked on some really big sports events, met a lot of different people. I worked with athletes on and off the court. And through that, I said, you know what? I could be doing this for myself. I started not one, but two companies, which I never advised to do as a new entrepreneur. You're way in over your head with just one. And I also realized through that process how to pick partners. I didn't pick the right partners for one of the companies. So I wound up dissolving that company. And after hosting a really big event, I asked myself, is this really what you want to be doing? And it was a hard no. I really wanted to be focusing on my writing. Three months after saying I was going to focus on my writing, and let me preface with, I was published in local newspapers, online journals before I had a portfolio. I published two books. And three months after saying I'm going to focus on my writing, I met my former editor at Forbes Women. And through a quick process, which she initially told me, oh, I'll get back to you in three months, turned, she got back to me in three days. We went through this round of portfolio pieces and she said, welcome aboard. And having that column, being that regular contributor at Forbes Women exposed me to so many different women that I initially would have never had the chance to meet. But my former editor said, what are you the expert in? And that was such a heavy question because every like there are thousands of people who do sports marketing and events. That's what I was doing. I didn't consider myself an expert. I was a new entrepreneur, didn't consider myself an expert, but I was really good at failing forward. And she said, well, what does that really mean? That has to be more positive for the column. So it made me reflect even more on my journey And what I realized is failing forward, going from point A to point B is pivoting. 
And I said to her, I'm really great at pivoting. She said, I love it. It's an emerging topic. Run with it. Now, this is pre-pandemic. So I like to say I was using the word long before the pandemic (laughs) came along. Through that, I got really interested in learning other people's pivot stories. How do people successfully pivot in their career? And at the same time, I was earning my doctorate in organizational leadership. And I did my dissertation on pivoting. So now I have all this data on pivoting and I love it. And I just love talking to people and sharing with people how to successfully pivot in their careers. So that's a really long story in a short time frame. But I mean, it's perfect. And that's why I wanted to talk with you about pivoting too, because you know, in this year that's been dubbed the great resignations, it's a really interesting time to be talking about this. And I know you've interviewed, you know, over 400 women of all, yep. you know, lots of famous women like Kathleen Kennedy and Bobby Brown and Diane von Furstenberg, Maria Sharapova. Oh, I always say her name wrong. How do you say her last name? Maria Sharapova. Sharapova. See, I'm not a tennis person. Lala Anthony, Jean Freeman, but Is there one thing that you find that all of these women have in common in terms of their mindset? They all believe that they can do it. And out of, I, again, as you mentioned, I've interviewed over 400 women and I would say of the 400, there might be a handful of people who thought that they had to overcome the gender bias Mm-hmm. But everyone else, what they all have in common is they believe in themselves and they don't let, oh, women never done this before. Women can't do that. Hold them back. They don't see it as female versus male. They just see it as a person and they go for it. So when they go for it, how, how does someone successfully pivot? Are there certain things that you need to do? So Yes. And everyone's pivot story is different. But through all my research, I've found that there are three core themes that everyone exhibits while pivoting and in no particular order. One is self-confidence. Everyone has self-confidence that they can do it. Two is risk-taking. Everyone, it's that risk of regret. They would, they rather try it and see what happens versus wondering five, 10 years later, what if. So they all believe in the risk. Some risks are larger than others, but they all have that self-confidence to take that risk. And the third one is everyone leans on their network. They know how to properly network. They understand the power of reputation. They understand the capital power or the, sorry, the people capital that they have. So it's quality over quantity. It's, you could have five really strong connections in your network versus a hundred, but those five are going to make the calls for you. Those five are connected to the people that you need to talk to, and they're not afraid to ask for what they need. They use that network and say, Hey, here's where I want to go. Who can you connect me to? How can you help me make this happen? So those are the three core themes. And then there's sub themes within each of those core themes. That's really interesting, especially the last one, both parts of it, because I think people always get very overwhelmed with the idea of networking 
And mm-hmm. the truth is you don't need to know a thousand people that nope. you know, it's who are the few people that can really be useful and you can also be useful to them. So it's really very much a, a give and take. And the other thing that you said that I think really resonates is you're not afraid to ask because mm-hmm. I think especially with women, maybe that's a generalization, but especially with women, I think they're hesitant to sort of put themselves first and ask for something that they want or need. Yeah. As a new entrepreneur for myself, I'm great. If people say, Hey, I need to speak to so-and-so can you connect to me? I'm, I'm perfectly fine asking that other person for somebody else. And in the beginning of my process, it was difficult for me to learn how to do it for myself, that it's okay. I've helped so many other people. Now they can reciprocate what I've done for them. And it took a while. It wasn't, oh, overnight I had this revelation and could do it. It took practice to get there. But now I'm at that point where I feel comfortable asking people for what I need. And that has quickened my path to success. And that's what a lot of people don't understand is if you don't ask, no one knows and they can't help you. And the majority of people want to help you succeed. Yeah, that's, you know, that's a great point too. People want to help other people, you know, they really do. I mean, most people do at least or, you know, and so at, you know, if you can do something to help somebody else, that's a nice feeling, especially now, I think. So from talking with all these women, are there any particular watch outs of things not to do if you're contemplating a change? Not to do is overthinking and talking yourself out of pivoting. It doesn't matter when you do it, just as long as you do it. If there's something inside of you that's saying what we're doing right now isn't right, there has to be a change, start looking into that. Pay attention to what your gut or your intuition or heart, whatever you want to call it, is telling you. Start exploring it, start doing the research, start developing those connections within the area that you think you want to go to. And it, a failing pivot is one that you don't take. So I just say, go for it. And as long as it's, sometimes it could just be one step one day. If you're just making that progress, you are succeeding because you're continuing to move forward. Do you think, maybe this sounds like a crazy question, but is it important to figure out something that you're doing that you have a passion for, or is it just if you're good at it? So I'm torn because especially my generation growing up, you hear, oh, do find your passion, go after the dream. But there is a reality to all of that. And if you're not willing to put in the work that it takes to make your passion happen, then I say, don't go for it because you're always going to be stuck in that limbo of here's what I really want, but I don't want to put the work in. I thought it was going to happen overnight. So I always say, find a skill that you enjoy. Mm -hmm. And then if that skill can align with your passion, go for it because there's two, you know, anyone can have a skill in something, but at least if you enjoy that skill, then you can align it with your passion. That's where dreams happen. That's a, that's an excellent point. Do you think sort of looking at it from another lens, do you think the definition of success has changed? 
everyone's definition is different. What success means to me is going to be completely different from you. I think during the pandemic, as the whole world had a pivot, I believe the majority of people pivoted what their definition of success is, especially with so many people leaving the workforce, either by choice or forced. But I think a lot of people saw that family was most important, especially that if they were healthy during the pandemic. So I think it has shifted a little bit as a whole, but individually, everyone's definition of success is different. And I hope that answered your question, <laughs> but <laughs> no, it, it did. And I think you're right. You know, especially during the pandemic, people looked and said, oh, you know, I thought maybe I thought money was the most important thing or whatever version of power yeah. was the most important thing. Yeah. And now I realize maybe that it, it isn't. I mean, you know, and there, there's a certain luxury to, to being in a position to be able to pivot. And I think we should mention that too. You know, not everybody can do that, even if they want to. But for the people that have done it and all the women that you've interviewed, is there one that really stands out in your mind as a really impressive or unexpected pivot? Yeah, so early on, it was within the first year that I had my column. And I interviewed this woman who she was typical middle class. She good upbringing. She got involved with the wrong crowd. She wound up homeless, a drug addict in jail. She was incarcerated twice. And it was the second time that she was incarcerated. And when she was being released, she realized there are zero resources for women when they re-enter the world. And she started a whole company on helping women reacclimate themselves into society. And it was the only time I cried during an interview, but her story was just so powerful and emotional. And she was normal people could relate to her. And if this could happen to her, instead of taking the path where she, it was the vicious cycle over and over again, she decided to not only help herself, but to help all these other women. And I was just so impressed with how she carried herself and how she wasn't holding a grudge to what happened to her, but saw it as an opportunity and I was able to connect her with investors to help her with her business. Like it, it was months later and her story's just in my head and it aligned. I said, you have to meet these investors <laughs> for the company because it, it was just so powerful. And I think that's what I like about pivoting. And I'm going to play devil's advocate. I do think everyone can pivot. It's just the rate at that you can pivot. Mm -hmm. And so many people think, oh, I don't have the financial means to pivot or my family's here. I can't move somewhere else to do what I want. But if you just take small steps every single day, small steps, eventually you are going to pivot to where you want to be. And I think that is what's so great about pivoting is if people realize it's not a negative experience, but a positive experience, oh, your whole world can change instantly just with that small mindset shift, because those small steps lead to the overall goal, the overall pivot. That's a fantastic point. And actually, it also just relates to, uh, you know, your business as, a, as an entrepreneur or, or working anyway, because 
when sometimes I was just looking at this month coming up, you know, I have my own PR firm and we have so many things happening. And I just was hit with this rush of, oh, you are never going to get through all of this. And I had to remind myself, you know, do what you always do, make a list. Here's one thing that needs to be done. Here's another, you know, my version of small steps is make a list and break it down. So it doesn't feel so overwhelming. So that is actually advice that works in a lot of different ways, as you point out. Although it is going to be a busy month, but (laughs) better busy than bored, better busy than bored. So let's talk about your own pivot. So I was reading one of your bios and it says that you've experienced many highs and lows of being an entrepreneur. And you sort of started with that a little bit. Can you please talk a little bit about, you know, what, what you mean by that? And I guess that, that also works into failing forward. Yeah. So when I decided that I was going to start my own company, I took classes, I started going to networking groups. Um, I got this. I I was all for it. And it was in those networking groups that I met other people who had similar ideas, but they said, let's do this conference together. It's going to be great. Oh, we could all, we all have different skill sets. We work well together. And again, I'm all, I'm, I'm an opportunist and I love collaborations. As soon as people start talking, I immediately start going, okay, how can we make this work? Who can I connect them with? What, you know, what can we do together? And that's what was happening. And that actually hindered me because I never actually did a project with these people before. And although I knew them by the time we actually started everything, it was a year, we never worked together on anything. And that is the difference. And once we started, you people are wonderful. They're not bad people. But as partners who I wanted to work with, it turned negative. And I realized I was doing the bulk of the work. And I was doing this while trying to do my other company, which was up and going at the time. And that that was the number one mistake that I did was I actually never worked on a small project with anyone before getting into business with them. And that's like a huge no, I don't recommend that to anyone. And it's being an entrepreneur, the highs are, oh, this is great. You get sponsors, you get investors, you're meeting different people, you see the success, but it's also, it can fall very quickly. And it's, In that fall, it's how do you pick yourself back up? And that's what I had to learn. And that happened a lot. And that was, I was pivoting all in that. But the whole theme is I kept going. I picked myself back up and I kept going. That, that's a great trait to be able to do that. And I think I do that too. I sort of sometimes have to give myself a pep talk. (laughs) (laughs) I was on a podcast recently. My friend E.B. Moss has a podcast called Insider Interviews. And she said, do you have a piece of advice? Because as you'll see, as we finish the interview, I always like to end with that. And she said, let me turn this on you. And I thought to something that I had once written about for the Huffington Post, which is be your own best friend, which sounds a little hokey, but it's really not like you really, especially if you're an entrepreneur, well, I guess in so many different senses, but in this business sense, especially if you're an entrepreneur, you have to be saying to yourself, you got this. Okay. You got this. But so that's what I think of what are are there certain traits or certain things that you think are necessary to be a successful entrepreneur? 
the necessary trait is to be able to say, okay, this didn't work. I am not going to harp over this. Let's continue to move. And early on in my career, someone said to me, learn how to fail quickly, learn how to fail fast. And that stuck with me because so many people, they have this idea, it's their baby, they want to see it grow. But sometimes you enter the market too early and people aren't ready for what you have to offer or too late. And it's what, what could be another baby? What else could, can you produce or manifest and see that grow instead of just trying for years and years and years and nothing's working, move quickly, give yourself three months, six months, put a timeline. If you don't reach a certain goal within then you have to move on. And that's what I've done throughout my whole career. Learn how to fail fast because then that gets you closer to the goal that you ultimately want. Well, that's good advice. So on a totally other note, but I guess <laughs> sort of on a failing note and, and on the note that you do a million things, you also have a podcast called, mm, no, that's not how it works. <laughs> I'm navigating the media landscape for PR people, which I am so like looking, I'm so excited to hear you talk about this <laughs> as a PR person. So what do you feel that people are doing wrong? Oh my goodness, that, that should be a whole other <laughs> podcast episode. The biggest thing, oh, I can't even say biggest because there's quite a few. There's so many. But, <laughs> but everyone believes that their stories is special. And you should, everyone should, but you have to understand when it comes to publications and media, you have top tier mid-tier and low-tier publications. And your top-tier publications are the Forbes, the New York Times, Wall Street Journal, Business Insider, Entrepreneur. And they didn't earn that reputation by putting everyday folks in their media outlets. It is all about the successful stories, how to build big companies. And I empathize with people because I think their story is great, but we have a lot of criteria on the back end that we have to meet. And if your story's just not there, then it's not ready for top tier, but it's ready for the local press. It's ready for podcasts. It's ready for local news stations. And once you can gain that traction there, then it looks better for top tier. That's an easier sell to my editor saying, hey, look at all this press that this person's in versus they just started a company. I can't tell you how many pitches I get for ideas. I have this great idea and I need investors. So I need to be in Forbes. And that's not how that works. Not at all. That's a bad investment and marketing strategy right there. I also have people tell me I'm your local hometown hero and I deserve to be in this media outlet. Well, what have you done? Well, you know, I help the local school. Okay, that's great for local press. So people, when pitching, you have to understand where does the, is it an idea or do they actually create something? And then if they actually created something, then what's their market value? How much are they making a year? I had someone come to me and say, I, I'm making 3000 a month. I am so happy for you because I understand as an entrepreneur, sometimes that takes a long time to get to. But for the publication that you're pitching to, that doesn't meet the criteria. So 
it, that's the number one thing. I think if people realized idea versus actual execution, I think people would see a different return ROI in their pitches. And I always think, and I always tell people that work with me, let's read up on the person that we're pitching to and let's see what they've written about before. It, 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 over the years, it's been really interesting to me because my main job is my PR firm. But with this podcast, I get a lot of pitches. And it, it's interesting to me because a lot of the time I get pitches that clearly are not really meant for my show or really even, you know, not even women. And I, you know, I only interview women on the show. So, um, so it, you know, it, it, understanding the, who you're talking to is also very important. So are there particular steps to a successful media pitch from your point of view? Yes. Let, don't let the product or the service be the main focal point of the pitch. It's about the story. Every writer wants to tell a good story. So if pitches come through that first share the story of who the person is, what they're doing and why, and then the product, it goes a lot smoother versus saying, hey, they just started a skincare line and it's going for $9.99 at Target. Well, where's the story? Because as a writer, I need to be able to develop a good story to share. And three things, if, I, if you don't mind me sharing, that during the pandemic, everyone did was a skincare line, in a power line and a CBD oil line. And I received 1500 pitches a month and about a good 50% to 60% of those pitches are for those three items. So that's where it's important to share your story first. How are you different than all those other people that are doing the same exact thing as you? So be your story and let your story drive that pitch. That is excellent advice. And in the vein of good advice, I love to end with just asking, is there one piece of advice that has helped you in your life and career that you can share with us? Yes, that is the worst thing anyone can tell you is no. So if that's the worst thing anyone could tell you, why not try? And I do have a good story for it. If you have time, I know that. Yes, yes. All right. So out in Hollywood, as I said, I admired Steven Spielberg. I was at this award show and I was early and I see Steven and his wife come on the red carpet and I was standing there and a lady I was talking to, I said to her, I would love to meet him one day. She goes, make, make today that one day today, tonight. And she goes, you'll figure out how to do it. And we went our separate ways and I was eating and I was on the second level and he was in the middle. We're eating, my heart's pounding. And I said, this is now or never. And there is two big big bodyguards at the entrance of the steps. And I was nervous, but I was dressed the part. And I said, okay, the worst they could tell me is no. They stopped me going down the stairs and there's only one stairway. I say, you're dressed the part. Don't make eye contact. You'll be okay. I walked right past them. And I said, okay, step one is done. Now I just have to go and meet Steven. And he was literally the middle table and all these tables. 
And I went up to him and I said, Stephen, it's a pleasure to meet you. I explained who I was. I think the conversation lasted two minutes, but he stood up, he shook my hand and he said, it's a pleasure to meet you. And whenever I am faced with, should I do this? Shouldn't I do this? I always think back to that story that I had the courage to go up, walk past two really big bodyguards and interrupt Stephen as he was eating. That that's what drives me. I said, if you could do that, you can do this. And that's been my whole motto is if the worst thing anyone can tell you is no, why not try? Thank you. That's terrific advice. And obviously that been very successful for you. And if people want to listen to your podcasts or they want to read your stories, how can they find you? Well, thank you. And people can follow me on Instagram at embrace the pivot. You can go to Forbes and Google Forbes and Cheryl Robinson. I come up under Forbes Women and my podcasts are on Apple and Spotify. Fantastic. Thank you again. It was wonderful talking with you. Thank you so much for having me.